You are listening to the Devoted Women's Podcast. This teaching is meant to be listened to after having completed the lesson in your workbook. We hope this teaching equips, encourages, and empowers you. Grace and peace. So the last time we met, which was two weeks ago, we saw Eutychus. He was raised from the dead by God through Paul. And then Paul tells the Ephesian leaders um, he won't see them again and warns them about wolves that will come in among them, not sparing his flock, uh, their flock. He tells them to pay attention to themselves and then their flock. That really stood out to me. Today I brought, uh, taught us that in verse 20, verse 7, we see the church gather on a Sunday for the first time. And then Paul goes to Jerusalem. So Paul goes, even though he knows he will be bound in chains, uh, as was prophesied by Agabus. And the disciples tell Paul through the Holy Spirit not to go to Jerusalem because of the persecution. Um, In those verses, the Holy Spirit is not contradicting himself. They are using their human emotion interpretation of on what they hear from the Holy Spirit and asking Paul not to go to Jerusalem and asking and asking Paul not to go. They're using their own um, human emotion with that. So Paul tells them he's going to do God's will. Disciples relent and say God's will be done. So Paul goes to Jerusalem, is seized by the crowd, dragged out of the temple, and is arrested by the Roman Tribune. So there, so that's where we start with these verses. So it Acts 37 through 40. As Paul was about to be brought to the barracks, he asked the Tribune if he may speak to him, and he's speaking Greek. So the Tribune was surprised, thinking that he was an uneducated Egyptian rebel that had stirred up a revolt and escaped the Romans. Um, The historian Josephus writes about an Egyptian that had led a revolt of 4,000 men in Jerusalem about 54 AD, and then it disappeared. Paul speaking Greek got the Tribune's attention and allowed Paul some protection and the opportunity to give his defense. Then Paul tells the Tribune that he's a Jew from Tarsus, which Tarsus, which is no mean city. So what he was saying is he was not from an insignificant city, but rather quite a significant city. Paul was telling the Tribune that he was from a city that is celebrated for its learning and he had an honorable birth. Paul also asks to speak to the people. We should consider that Paul had just been beaten, but he politely asked the Tribune if he could speak to him and if he could speak to the people. So in the last chapter, the crowd had seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. We see that in verse 2130. They were seeking to kill him. We see that in 2131. And now he wanted to speak to them. So that's a contrast. Like, I don't necessarily think I'd want to go and talk to somebody that's trying to kill me. I'd probably want to avoid them. So, I mean, that's a a testimony. So (laughs) um, that's a testimony to Paul's Uh, passion and the Holy Spirit's power in Paul. So Paul is allowed to speak to the people. We don't know why the tribune allows him to speak. Um, He may have let him speak because he he now knows that Paul's a Roman citizen and he unlawfully chained him. So the tribune may also may have thought maybe it would quiet the crowd because they were, they were pretty rowdy. In the last chapter, um, the crowd was shouting one thing and another. That was in verse 34. So there was chaos. So the tribune was probably still trying to figure out what was happening. So in verse 40, Paul stands on the stairs overlooking the courtyard over the, of the Temple Mount, makes a dramatic sweep with his hand, like, and the angry crowd go, grows quiet. He it does get quiet. So Paul speaks to them in Hebrew. And in some of the studies that I read, it's Aramaic, which was their their that di- that dialect. 
um, identifying with his Jew Jewish audience. So telling the Jews the gospel was the opportunity Paul had been waiting for. So Paul had a passion for leading fellow Jews to Christ. And we see that in Romans chapter 9, 1 through 5. Today it taught us that Paul's journey to Jerusalem and being in Jerusalem was similar to Jesus' journey. Like Jesus, Paul traveled to Jerusalem with a group of disciples and op had opposition from hostile Jews who plotted to kill him. Like Jesus, Paul had followers try to discourage him from going to Jerusalem and that the fate that awaited him there. And Jesus and Paul declared they were ready to go lay down their lives. Like Jesus, Paul was determined to complete his ministry and they both expressed they only wanted God's will. So like Jesus, Paul alone was arrested, but none of his companions were arrested. And they both heard the mob say, away with him. So like Jesus, the Roman officer didn't know Paul's true identity, and they were both associated with terrorists. We are called to follow after Jesus as well. So we shouldn't be surprised when events in our lives look similar to the events in Jesus's life. Like Paul, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And we see that in Romans 8, 29. There are some things that are not similar as Paul will defend himself in the next verse where Jesus did not defend himself to his accusers. Um, moving on to Acts uh, chapter 22, 1 through 21. In Paul's speech, he gives the crowd his background and his testimony, again in Hebrew, Aramaic, the, the dialect. It's interesting to note that Paul was present at Stephen's death, and in the beginning of his speech, he addresses the crowd the same way Stephen did in Acts 7, 2, with men, brethren, fathers, listen. Paul states where he's from and that he was trained other, under Gama, Gamaliel, I always want to say that different, Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a well-known and respected rabbi at that time. Paul says he was zealous for God as, you are, uh, as all of you are this day. He is acknowledging their motives in trying to kill him and recognizing that he had done the same thing to believers about 20 years earlier. He's trying to lay common ground between them. He said he persecuted this way which is the way Jesus, meaning he persecuted believers, men and women in Christ. He bound, jailed, and even killed believers with the approval of the high priest and the whole council of elders. So it's interesting to note, receiving an approval from the high priest was significant because most people did not have the privilege of associating directly with the high priest. It was with the high priest's marching orders that Paul was on his way to Damascus to bring believers back to Jerusalem to be punished. And it was on the road to Damascus that Paul met the risen Christ, the Messiah, for himself. Paul gave his testimony four more times in the New Testament. In this chapter, he's trying to persuade the Jews. In Acts 26, he's trying to persuade the Gentiles. In Philippians 3, Paul tells a story for a theological understanding. And in 1 Timothy 1, he tells a story to give encouragement. So Paul says that as he got closer to Damascus, he saw a bright light and he fell to the ground. He heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is calling Paul by name. Paul asks, who are you, Lord? Jesus tells Paul that he is Jesus of Nazareth, who he is persecuting. Paul was a zealous persecutor of Jesus and his followers until the bright light shone and Jesus told him who he was. He didn't understand who he was persecuting. Paul's encounter with Jesus changed his life forever. He's trying to tell the crowd that he was like them until his encounter with Jesus. Paul met Jesus was, dra was drastically changed. It was God's doing, not anything Paul did. The bright light blinded Paul. Paul was spiritually and physically blind. During this encounter with Jesus, Paul didn't say, okay, now I'm a Christian. No, he asked Jesus, what should I do? What do I do? Jesus tells Paul, 
to go to Damascus and he'll be told what to do next. So Paul had to be humbly led by the hand of Damascus where he, where he met uh, Ananias. So Acts 22.12 says that Ananias was a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews that lived there. We should note this is the first Christian that Paul has a good encounter with. So up until that point, he had persecuted them. So Ananias said to Paul, receive your sight. At that very hour, Paul's sight was returned to him. Ananias said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the voice from his mouth. We see that in Acts twenty-two fourteen. Paul wanted the crowd to know he still served the God of his fathers. He had not rejected Judaism like his accusers had said. Actually, many in Judaism had rejected God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Ananias said in Acts twenty-two sixteen, And now why do you wait, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? In verse 16, baptism was done immediately upon Paul's conversion. 1 Corinthians six eleven says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We must seek the pardon of our sins in Christ's name and independence, not independence, but independence. We depend upon him and his righteousness. After we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, we should be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <coughs> in verses 17 and 18, Jesus speaks to Paul in a trance, a vision. He is telling the crowd about something that had happened 20 years before. And keep that in mind. About two to three years after he ex accepted Christ. So he's talking about something that happened two decades before. Paul is pointing out, even though he had been a Christian for a few years at that time, he still went to Jerusalem to pray in the temple. So he was still going to the temple as a follower of Christ. We, he wanted them to know that he was not against all Jewish ceremonies, even though he trusted Jesus. Jesus tells Paul in the vision to leave Jerusalem. Paul responds to Jesus with how he persecuted Christians, thinking that they might, that might give him more credibility to witness to the Jewish people that were against Christianity. Paul is trying to explain to Jesus why he should stay in Jerusalem and tell the Jewish people about Jesus. Jesus replies to Paul saying, Paul will be sent to the Gentiles. Jesus didn't agree with Paul's response. I think of how many times I've argued with God and lost, but I didn't actually lose because I actually gained God's will, which is always the best. It's always the best plan. In Paul's testimony, he was trying to show that it was God's plan for Paul to reach the Gentiles with the gospel, not his idea. He was, trying to, he was trying to explain to the crowd why he was so kind to the Gentiles and that he was acting out of obedience to Jesus. Sometimes we may not do the things God is calling us to do because we don't want to offend others. It's more important to be obedient to God's plans than to make sure everyone is content with the direction we are going in our lives. And I'll add a lot of times when, when, I, when I feel like the Lord is moving me in a direction I, um, the world comes at me like you're crazy. You're that's not right. That's not going, you know, you shouldn't do that. And that's when I really know I'm on the right track. When the world comes at me with all those things, I really know I'm on the right track with, with what God wants. So some have pointed out inconsistencies in Paul's testimony on how he was saved. In the homework, question five asks us to list the differences of Paul's testimony in Acts 9, 3 through 8 and Acts 22, 6 through 16. The testimonies seem different because Acts 9, 3 through 8 is Luke's account of Paul's testimony. And whereas Acts 22, 6 through 16 is spoken directly by Paul. 
In Acts 9, the men heard, heard a voice but saw no one. In Acts 22, they saw the light but didn't hear a voice in the New King James Version. The Greek word used here in verse 9-7 is akuo. The English word is acoustics. This means a sound was heard, but not to the point of comprehension. So they may not have understood the sound. In verse 22:9, though a sound was heard, the meaning was not the meaning was not comprehended. So the details are not contradicting each other, but are complementary. And I'll say that Paul was giving his testimony and our testimonies are powerful. It tells us what Jesus has done in our lives. It's difficult for even the worst naysayers to say our testimony isn't true. It's our story and what has happened to us through Jesus. If you haven't thought about or written down your testimony, I encourage you to do that. It may change someone's life and bless them. And in blessing others, we will be blessed as well. So moving on to Acts 22 uh, through 29. So verse 22 says that up until this word, they listened to him. The word that upset them was Gentile. The crowd was outraged that God's salvation could be freely given to the Gentiles. The crowd wanted to kill him for saying that word. They were throwing off their cloaks, flinging dust into the air. Up until that word, the crowd was listening to Paul patiently and attentively. They forgot all the rules of decency and they were provoked to jealousy. The Jewish people were jealous because they didn't think the Gentiles were worthy of salvation. The tribune ordered Paul to be brought in the barracks and scourged because of all the confusion. Scourging was not a normal beating. The flagellum the Romans used sometimes caused death. The tribune assumed that Paul had done something terrible for the crowd to behave the way they did. Paul asked the centurion standing by him if flogging a man that's a Roman citizen is un it, that's uncondemned is legal. He was a Roman citizen and not been convicted of anything. Roman citizens had special rights that non-citizens did not have. The centurion, the centurion that was beside Paul asked the tribune if it was legal to beat Paul since Paul was a Roman citizen. The tribune then asked Paul if he was a Roman citizen and Paul said yes by birth. The tribune had purchased Roman citizenship for a lot of money. Then the tribune was afraid since he had bound Paul. We see this in Philippi after Paul had been whipped in Acts 16.37. Those magistrates were afraid of what they had done as well. The Romans had a law that if any magistrate chastised or condemned a free man of, Roman, of Rome without hearing him speak for himself and deliberating the, upon the whole case, I mean a hearing in court, he should be liable to the sentence of the people. The tribune had thought that Paul was an Egyptian criminal and was surprised to find he was a gentleman like himself. Paul's citizenship was actually more valuable than the tribune's because Paul was born a Roman citizen and the tribune had purchased it. And then Acts uh, 22:30, the lone verse. On the next day, the tribune brought Paul to the chief priest in the council because he wanted to know what they were accusing Paul of doing. The council was the Sanhedrin. They were like the Jewish Congress and consisted of Pharisees and Sadducees. Paul was a Pharisee, and we'll see how he uses that to his advantage. So Acts 23, 1 through 11. So Paul's brought before the council. We don't know if the tribune has briefed them on what had happened to Paul. It's interesting to note that Paul probably hadn't seen these men since he received letters to arrest Christians in Damascus 20 years earlier. Also, he was standing before a group that he was a member, a member of and had respected since youth before meeting Jesus. So right away, Paul says, brothers, I live my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. He was saying whatever they thought of him, he has lived for God and with a good conscience. He had aimed at nothing except to please God. 
First John 3, 21 through 22 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So Ananias, the high priest, was outraged and had those that stood by Paul strike him on the mouth. The high priest may have been outraged because Paul didn't address him directly with his title, but addressed the entire group and spoke boldly. It may look like Paul was retaliating, but Paul wasn't speaking this in sinful rage, but was upset with the high priest's abuse of power. He is prophetic as well in describing his character. Josephus, the historian, he, he said that um, Ananias was profane, greedy, and hot-tempered. Paul called Ananias a whitewashed wall. The term whitewashed wall meant the high priest was a hypocrite. He was a mud wall underneath plaster, but in the plaster was the whitewash. So plaster on the outside. Jesus made a similar comparison when he compared the Pharisees to white sepulchers or tombs in Matthew 23, 27. They were clean on the outside, but un unclean on the inside. Also, Paul rebuked him because he was supposed to be doing things according to the law. Ananias had broken the law by having Paul smacked without hearing Paul's defense. Sometime later, the high priest was replaced, but we don't know why. So those around Paul said, would you revile God's high priest? Paul says, I didn't know, brothers, that he was high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul probably knew he was a high priest because he had been in Jerusalem for a week. Paul probably did not consider when he said it to whom he spoke. The Greek is uk edin, I'm probably butchering that, which means Paul did not think of the dignity of the place or he would have spoken respectfully to him. So in front of the council, Paul saw that some of them were Sadducees and some Pharisees. Paul proclaims that he is a Pharisee as well. He knew saying he was a Pharisee and mentioning he's on trial for the resurrection would divide the council against themselves. Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life and the life of the world to come. Sadducees only recognize the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. They had little regard for the rest of the Old Testament. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, spirits, or angels. They thought God was like a human with parts and members like we have. In verse 9, the Pharisees stood up and said, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? The argument became violent, and the tribune ordered the soldiers to take Paul by force back to the barracks so he wouldn't be torn apart. Just like Pontius Pilate found no guilt in Jesus, the Pharisees find no guilt in Paul. So Paul is free of the Sanhedrin's violence, but he's still in bonds with Rome. Then we see our Jesus standing by Paul at night, and he gives him an encouraging message. This is just so sweet to me. Jesus says, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. That's in Acts 23:11b. Some may think this isn't an encouraging message, but it was to Paul. Paul didn't want anything else but to serve Christ and tell people about the gospel, especially in Rome. Jesus wasn't finished with Paul yet. Paul had more work to do, more people to bring to Christ, more people to pray for, more things to glorify God, more ways to glorify God. Jesus said, be of good cheer in the New King James Version. It's easy to be of good cheer when everything is going well. But we should be of good cheer when things aren't going well. God is in control and mighty no matter what. The phrase good of be, be of good cheer is one word in ancient Greek and is used four times in the New Testament, all by Jesus. 
all spoken by Jesus. We don't know what Paul's prayer was for Jesus to go to him. Maybe he was doubting what he had done in front of the Sanhedrin by mentioning the resurrection or wondering why he was still a prisoner of Rome. But Jesus is faithful and goes to Paul's side like a sweet friend. Paul had been miraculously de delivered from jails before, but this, this time Jesus met Paul where he was at. Sometimes Jesus doesn't deliver us from a tough season, but he meets us where we're at. He said he will never leave us nor forsake us. Acts 23, 12 through 22. In verses 12 through 15, we see there's a plot to kill by, Paul by 40 men. The enemy rears his ugly head again, but Jesus already had a plan in place to stop him. What the enemy means for evil, God turns to good. And we see this in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about many people that should be kept alive as they are today. That was Joseph uh, speaking that in Genesis 50, 20 about what his brothers had done to him. These men wanted to kill Paul. These men that wanted to kill Paul were probably assassins that usually targeted Rome and their supporters. So now they were after Paul. They were zealous and wanted to kill him to the point that they took a vow not to eat or drink until he was killed. In verse 15, they want the chief priests, the elders, and the council to lie to the tribune and have Paul brought to them as if they want to speak to Paul again. They are willing to lie and sin against God to get their desired outcome, which is Paul being killed. In verse 16, we get a glimpse into Paul's family. Paul had a sister, has a sister, and she had a son. So Paul's nephew heard of the plot and told Paul. The Bible doesn't say how Paul's nephew hears of the plot. Then Paul tells the centurion and he tells the tribune. It's interesting that the centurion listens to Paul and takes his message to the tribune because prisoners were typically were not treated well or with respect. Paul must have had a decent relationship with his captors. The tribune meets with Paul's nephew and hears what he has to say. The tribune shows Paul's nephew as kindness as well by taking Paul's nephew by the hand. This is probably a sign to him that he won't harm him. We should remember at this time that the Jewish people feared and hated the Romans. So this ensuring the tribune's co cooperation and kindness should be noted. God will soften our hardened hearts for his will and glory. We see that in the story of Pharaoh as well in Exodus 7:3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. So eventually the Pharaoh released the Jewish people from sla slavery and let, and let them leave Egypt after 10 plagues. The Tribune tells Paul's nephew to keep what he's heard a secret. It's not surprising that Paul's nephew heard of the ambush because Jesus had promised Paul would testify of Jesus in Rome. So Paul's bold before his enemies because of Jesus' message the night before. It's ironic that Paul's being accused of breaking God's law and these men took a vow that took a vow are breaking God's law. It's interesting to know also that Paul was in the barracks for his protection, not to protect people from him, as most that are jailed are there for, for people's protection. Paul was there in the jail for his protection. So moving on to Acts 23 through 25, um, the Tribune decides to send Paul to Felix the governor. This was the same uh, position that Pontius Pilate had held. The Tribune, we now know his name is Claudius Lysias. He is protecting Paul while the Jewish leaders are trying to kill him. We see this in Genesis 12, 10 through 20 as well. When Abram lies to Pharaoh about Sarah being his sister, the man of God, Abram, wasn't acting godly, but the heathen leader was. Claudius has 470 soldiers protecting Paul as he rides to Caesarea. 
Claudius writes a letter to Governor Felix explaining what has happened to Paul. He says he rescued Paul, having learned he's a Roman citizen, and he was being accused of questions of their law, the Jewish law. He wrote Paul wasn't charged with anything deserving death or imprisonment. The Jewish council didn't acquit Paul. They were still consenting to Paul being killed. What Claudius seems to be saying in his letter is, here's Paul, here's his accusers, they can come, state what they have against him, but I'm referring Paul's case to you, Felix, and absolving myself of the situation. He's like, I'm out. So our homework points out the differences in Claudius's letter versus Luke's order of events. Luke doesn't state that Claudius rescued Paul and Claudius conveniently leaves out binding and almost scourging Paul because that's against Roman law as Paul's a Roman citizen. Claudius seems to be protecting himself and making himself out to be a hero, but that's not what happened. So we can imagine what Claudius's punishment uh, would be if Paul was innocent. So in verse 31, the soldiers take uh, Paul by night to Antipatris. The soldiers go back to Jerusalem and leave the 70 horsemen to go with Paul to Caesarea. I thought this was an interesting um, note. The road to Jerusalem to Antipatris was the most dangerous. So the 70 could finish the journey to Caesarea. They deliver Paul and the letter to Felix, and Felix wants to know where Paul is from. When Felix learns Paul is from Cilicia, he decides to hear Paul's case. When his accusers arrive, he decides to hear Paul's case when his accusers arrive, and Paul will be guarded in Herod's Praetorium. The Praetorium is Herod's judgment hall. So Paul being brought before Felix reminds us of what Jesus said to his disciples. In Mark 13, 9, Jesus says, Watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you'll be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. So this was the beginning of a two-year confinement in Caesarea for Paul. In Acts 28, we'll see that Paul is in confinement in Rome. So for the next five years, Paul will be in Roman custody. So what I see from Paul's life from the last few chapters, that he has victories, he had defeats. Through it all, Jesus was, is faithful, and he kept his promises. Jesus is the same for us in our lives. We have victories, defeats, laughters and te- laughter and tears, and nothing surprises our Lord. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we see that in Hebrews 13.